Good evening. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'm glad Brother Mike took that survey just a moment ago because I thought maybe I was the only one who didn't know that song. I had never heard that before in my life. So uh, you would think growing up in church and stuff that I would have heard that at least once. But you got us, Brother Mike. You did it. So, all right. Have you had a good week this week? I hope you have. I trust that you have. And uh, a little blast of summer one more time. Maybe we're about through with it. But... Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I'm thankful for the time, that uh, this chance that we have to be here this evening. I pray that you would uh, use this time to be a help in our spiritual lives. Lord, that you would remind us of what we probably already know, but uh, we may lose sight of at times. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I think what we're going to do in a couple of moments, if this all works like it's supposed to, uh, like I'm hoping it will, we're going to try to uh, implement the review of last week's message into uh, some of tonight's message. And again, I hope that this will uh, come out the way that I hope that it will as we work our way through this. But tonight I want to begin with a thought that if I've shared this in the past, I do apologize. I don't think that I have, but again, if I have, I, I do apologize. But every once in a while, here in the community, I'll be someplace and I'll strike up a conversation with someone. And in getting to know them a little bit, I may ask them what they do for a living. And in turn, they will usually ask what I do for a living. And so when somebody asks me what it is I do here in town, my typical response is, well, I pastor over at Grace Baptist Church here in town. Now, I won't tell you how that normally goes from there, me trying to explain where the church is at to them. Uh, but nonetheless, my answer is I pastor Grace Baptist Church. Now, I, I don't tell them in that conversation what all I do as the pastor, but tonight I'm going to share just a little bit with you what I do as the pastor of this church. And it's not that you don't know most of this. I'm sure that most of you do, but I'm just going to share this because I want to get to a point in just a couple of moments. But as a pastor, one of the things I do each week is I take the financial records of the week that have been done on paper, and I put all of that into the computer. Now, that's not something that's really essential to the church life. It's not really essential to my employment or anything of that nature. But it is good for us to be able to see where we're at today financially. Compare it maybe to where we were this time last year or this time five years ago, whatever it may be. And so that's just something I do. I take all the finances and I put it into the computer, spend a few minutes each week doing that. Something else I do is I take the attendance report that we have each week and I plug that into the computer, again, for the same reasons. It's just good to know where we're at right now in comparison to where we were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Uh, it may not be of any interest to you, but every once in a while, I pull the records and I just like to see where we're at in comparison. Something else I do on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, is this is I take the sermons that I have preached and or whoever has preached here at the church 
and I upload those to a, a website that then is able to be transferred to our church's website and then able to be transferred to the Facebook page, and some people do listen to those things. And so, again, not essential to what I do here, but it is a part of the bigger picture. Sometimes, like today, I click the wrong buttons and I delete all the sermons on the website, uh, something I was real proud of whenever I did that and realized what I had done. Uh, but, but nonetheless, that was not intentional. That Some I'd like to delete. But anyways, uh, it, it was not intentional, but I did that, and so now I'm working on rebuilding all that because, again, some people do listen. But, but I upload the sermons and, and things of that nature. Now, again, I promise you I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Each week I do the bulletins. Those beautiful bulletins that you receive each week, that is the handiwork of myself. I print those up and I fold them and then I distribute them each week. I edit a sermon for the radio each week so that uh, uh, that can be done the way that it needs to do. I, I do maintenance issues or items around the church. Last week I had the privilege to cut down a tree. It's not done yet, but... But, but I do those types of things, okay? Uh, I do that, and then I make visits. I make phone calls. I, I just do different things. Now, all that being said, that is part of what I do as the pastor of this church. But here is what I know, that what you expect of me more than anything is that I be ready to teach and preach four times a week, right? That's what you expect of me. If you had shown up tonight and I said to you, hey, listen, folks, it is so good to see you tonight. I appreciate you being here, but I was at the hospital Monday night and I was at the, uh, the, the Meredith place on Monday afternoon and, and I was so busy doing all these other things. I just don't have anything for us tonight. I think most of you would leave here a little bit disgusted and a little bit disappointed because you expect me to be ready to teach and preach four times a week, right? So if I said to you, it's been busy, it's been crazy, it, it's been a full week already, you wouldn't really understand that I was not prepared to preach because that's what I'm supposed to be about as the pastor of this church. And I understand that. I understand that you expect me to be prepared because if I was in your position... I would expect the pastor to be prepared. So understand, please, all these things that I do in addition to preach, all those have a place. All those have a, an area of importance, some more than, than others, some obviously less than others. But with all those things being a part of the equation, what you expect me to focus on and give my attention to is the preaching of the Word of God. Now that in mind, we'll come back to that principle in a couple of moments. That in mind, I want to begin this evening by, by just sharing a thought with us that we're not going to look at this evening. But I want us to think about a, a statement that Paul makes in the book of Romans chapter 8. In writing to the believers there in Rome, he makes this statement that prior to one's salvation, they have a carnal mind. You realize that, right? If you, if you want to go look it up later this evening, you're more than welcome to. Romans chapter 8, verse number 7, that prior to a person's salvation, 
They have a carnal mind. And all that means is this, is they do not view things from a scriptural perspective or from a biblical perspective or a spiritual perspective. They view things from a very worldly mindset with a very worldly philosophy. When someone has a carnal mind, it does not necessarily mean that they are blasphemous, that they are profane, that they are terrible individuals. It just means this that they do not view things in the same way that God views them. Okay? So a person who is without Christ has a carnal mind. No matter how they may define themselves, no matter how they may try to describe themselves, their mind is carnal because they are not in Christ, as we talked about last week. They are not saved. They are still dead in their sins. As a result of that, I want us to think about what Paul also said in that verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 7. He said that because of the carnal mind, the individual is at enmity with God because of the carnal mind. See, the carnal mind is what leads a person's actions. And so for a person to be at enmity with God just means this, is that they stand in opposition, again, not as a blasphemer, not as one who is profane, not as one who is profoundly wicked or anything like that, but, but it simply means this, that in their overall way of living, in their overall way of life, they do not consider God. And so because of that... They stand in opposition to God's will and God's desire for their lives. Does this make sense? Prior to salvation, prior to being in Christ, one has a carnal, worldly, fleshly, unregenerate, unsaved way of thinking and going through life. And that then puts the person in opposition to God in every area of their life, again, whether they admit it or not. So that in mind, let me ask you this. Can a believer have a carnal mind? The answer is yes. How do we know that a believer can have a carnal mind? They've been saved, they've been forgiven, but they have a carnal mind... How is that possible? It means this, that for some reason they still have a worldly approach to their way of life and a worldly approach to their living. That happens all the time, doesn't it? All we've got to do is look at the people who are being written to by Paul right now in the book of, in the book of Corinthians, and we know that the believers of Corinth, though saved, they still had a carnal mind in much of their lives, correct? The believers of Galatia did not exactly have a spiritual mindset and a spiritual philosophy and a spiritual approach to life. They had been swayed by false doctrine. Many of them had, correct? Okay, so they had a carnal mind. Now now let's just skip the chase for a moment and, and let's just ask ourselves this. How many of us have ever had carnal minds ourselves, those saved? Well, obviously, most of us who are honest would have to admit to such a thing. 
We are saved. We don't question that. We don't doubt that. We don't, we, we don't doubt it for a moment. And yet, if we're not careful, it can happen to us like it would to anybody else. We begin to think from a carnal, worldly mindset. And when we do, we're no longer viewing things from the perspective of God. So I wonder if this is fair to say, and it's not that I wonder because I don't know, but I wonder because I wonder how many of you would agree with me. I wonder if the principle still would stand true in your mind that even as a saved person, if I have a carnal mind and a carnal approach to life, I wonder if I'm still to an extent in opposition or at enmity with God because I'm not in line with his way of thinking and and his what would be, for lack of better words, his philosophy or outlook for our lives. Is, Is that fair to say that if I'm a believer, if I'm a child of God, and yet I am approaching life through a carnal lens and, and everything is from a worldly perspective, I wonder if it's safe to say I'm at odds with God. Well, absolutely I am. The only way that you and I can not be at odds with God is if we are spiritually minded, biblically minded, in line with God's thoughts and God's will and God's desires, that's the only way that I can have right fellowship with Him. So all that said, last week, just remember a couple of things that we talked about. Paul mentioned that because of his salvation, he is a new creature. He said that old things were passed away and behold, all things are become new. I explained what that statement, all things are become new, what that means. We talked about how that is a reference to a past action that is supposed to have a continuing effect in the life of an individual. So just because a person is saved does not mean everything is squared away and done away with and I don't have to change anything. No, as a result of my salvation, what should I be doing? I should still be growing and developing and maturing in my Christian life. There is never a time in our lives where we have the authority or we have the right to sit and do nothing in our spiritual lives, to just coast or maybe to even go backwards. No, you and I are always supposed to be pressing toward the mark. We are supposed to be coming more like the one transformed into his image, the one who saved us. That's what the scripture teaches, right? That this spiritual life, this Christian life, it is a never-ending process. It It is a continual journey that we're on. Now, that's an important part of the Christian life, right? We talked about this last week, that as a result of what God has done for us, it ought to change us in every area of life, right? Because he said, all things are become new. So it ought to affect my attitude. It ought to affect my outlook. It ought to affect the way that I speak to people. It ought to affect my entertainment. It ought to affect the way that I I treat my wife and I treat my children. It ought to affect every single bit of that, right? If it's not impacting those things, then something is wrong with my spiritual life. It doesn't matter if I've gotten used to it. You may remember that. It doesn't, rem- it doesn't matter if, if I've gotten to a point where I can disguise my sin. 
I need to still be working on those issues that God brings to light and God brings to attention. Okay, so that's what we talked about. But I want us to look in verse number 16 just very quickly. This is in light of the fact that Paul is about to say he's a new creature. Anyone who is in Christ is that new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He says in verse number 16, Wherefore henceforth, from the time that I got saved, he said, Now we uh, know we no man after the flesh. You may remember I said last week that what Paul seems to be indicating is this, is that as a result of his salvation, he no longer saw the person of the person, but what he now saw in the individual was the soul of that person. As a result of his salvation, he no longer just saw individuals by name and individuals by profession, people by family groups. He no longer saw people in that manner or in that fashion. He now realized every person that I come into contact with has a soul. So keeping that in mind as we look in verse number 18 tonight, he says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to him, to himself by Jesus Christ. So he says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now remember, it was Paul who said this, Prior to salvation, we were at enmity with God. We stood in opposition to him. For what reason? Because of the carnal mind. Okay? So there was enmity there. There was opposition. There was, there was this distance between the individual and the Savior. But here is what Paul said. He said that because of the work of Jesus Christ, the one who is saved, the one who is the new creature, they have been reconciled unto God by Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means to be made right. It means for the relationship to be made what it's supposed to be. So prior to salvation, what was there? There was enmity. There was opposition. Why? Because we viewed life from a totally different perspective than the one who created us. But Paul says to the believers of Corinth that it was because of the work of Jesus Christ that we have been reconciled or made right with God. And he says in verse number 18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. So what does that mean? It means this, that everything that has been accomplished in our lives as children of God, Paul said to them and he would say to us, Everything that's been accomplished in our lives is because of the work that God has done in us. Think about this. In and of ourselves, we don't have the ability to produce any long-term eternal results that will benefit us. A person may decide I need to be nicer. A person may decide I need to be kinder. A person may decide I need to be more generous. And they may be all those things, but outside of Christ, none of that has any eternal value with it. So in this role of becoming new and advancing in our spiritual lives and our spiritual maturity, everything that, that has a place, Paul says that all things are of God, the one who reconciled us, the one who made us right, and the one who has produced all of this in our lives, it is God who has done that. 
So if you look at your spiritual life and you say, you know, I was here X number of years ago and now I am here, you know what you honestly have to say? You have to say this, by the grace of God. I was here, but now I am here, and that is only by the grace of God. Our family was here, but now we are here, and that is only by the grace of God. What has happened in our lives, it is only because of God's work and nothing else, not anything I manufactured and not anything that anyone else manufactured. So here we've got Paul speaking of the reconciliation that took place as a result of the work of God in our lives through Jesus Christ. And notice what he said next. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, as a result of our reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, he said, you know what's happened? He said, we have been given, and it has been given to us, the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? It means this, that God has bestowed on us, and he has given us, he has granted unto us, this ministry of striving to see people made right with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, now follow this. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us this same ministry, trying to see people reconciled or made right with God through Christ. He says in verse number 19 and 20, the same thoughts. We'll read them real quick. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what does he say again in verse number 19? He says that we have been committed, un- it has been committed unto us this word of reconciliation or being made right with God. Verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. What seems to be a concern of Paul's as he writes this portion of Scripture to the believers of Corinth? It seems to be that his concern is reconciliation. Be made right with God. That's what our ministry is. That's what God has given us. And we are ambassadors of the Word of God, which would be the Word of reconciliation. I want you to be reconciled. I want you to be made right. And and, and I just, that's the ministry that God has given us. To be made right, and not just for us to be made right, but to try to serve as those who would aid Others in being reconciled with God. Now, as we think about that, I I want us to just consider a, a couple of questions. Is this something that only Paul was responsible for? 
Is it something that the believers of Corinth could say, well, you know, God has made you responsible with this ministry of reconciliation, but I have no responsibility in this ministry of reconciliation for others. Is that something that the believers of Corinth could have said? No. No, what you have here is it seems Paul trying to convey to them that they share the exact same burden that Paul shared, that because of their reconciliation, they have now been given the same ministry to see that others were reconciled. It wasn't just the preacher's responsibility. It was everyone's responsibility. Now, it got a little bit quiet on that. It's not just the preacher's responsibility to be a minister of reconciliation. It is the responsibility of all believers to be ministers of reconciliation. That's important. See, you and I, as I mentioned a while back, I don't remember what sermon it was in, But as I mentioned a while back, here's what we're reminded of. We've got a lot going on, right? A few of us have a lot going on. The rest of us, we we just don't do anything, I guess. But but think about this, kind of like from the perspective of the pastor, okay, and what all the pastors got to do. Okay, a, a lot of us have got a lot of stuff going on. We've got this, and we've got this, and we've got this, and we've got to be worried about this, and we've got to be mindful about this, and and I need to work on this, stop saying this, be nicer here, treat my spouse better, don't yell at my kids. We've got all these things going on, right? Right. Okay. Are all those important? Absolutely they are. They are absolutely important. How do we know? Because, behold, all things are become new. Everything is supposed to be changing and everything is supposed to be getting better as we walk in in this relationship with God. That is the way it's supposed to be. But with all that going on, what should be of a primary concern? This ministry of reconciliation. See, it's, it's kind of like the preacher could say, well, you know, I was making a visit and I was over here and I was doing this and I was busy with that and I was cutting down the tree and all these other things and I just didn't have time for this. You would look at me and you'd say, uh, that's not exactly acceptable because with your position, you're kind of expected to do these things in addition to those things. Okay, well, consider our Christian life. We've got this and this and this and this and this and everything else I just don't really have time for that whole ministry of reconciliation. Hold on. Hold on. It's not your responsibility to try to see that others are made right with God through Jesus Christ? Think about that. If we're saved... It is now as much my responsibility as it is yours, and it is as much your responsibility as it is someone else's. But before we'll get to that point in our lives, you know what we've got to do? 
Well, from henceforth, we can know no man after the flesh. See, I said a minute ago that was important. See, here's why it's important. In order for me to remember my responsibility to be this minister of reconciliation, I have to see the spiritual, eternal aspect of the people I come into contact with. If I go to a restaurant like I did tonight, I have a responsibility to be mindful of the fact that our server is a person with a soul. That person who served us tonight, she will spend eternity somewhere someday. And it is as much my responsibility as it would be anyone else in that restaurant to try to let her know that if she's not, she needs to be reconciled and made right with God through Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility, and that's your responsibility. But let's think about this for just a moment. We're not always too good at it, are we? Could we be honest and say we don't always see people for the souls that they are? It's just another person. It's just another individual. It's just another person in my way. It's just another person standing between me and what I need to get done. Or or maybe that's just another person to aid me in what I want to get done. But, But we don't see the soul of the individual for what they really are. I think sometimes, if we're honest, and I know I've touched on this before, but I want us to think about this. If we're honest, we get so wrapped up in what we're doing, we lose sight of the eternal aspect of that person. And I am convinced that because we are so busy working on so many other things, and our minds are engaged in so many other things, there are people who will spend an eternity one day in hell, maybe in part because we did not share with them this responsibility that we have that they need to be made right with God. How many of us tonight would have to admit that we have probably let more opportunities slip by us than we care to think about? We could have talked to them, but we didn't. We could have said something to them, but we didn't. We could have left some kind of information for them to look over if they chose to, but we didn't. Listen, I'm just going to try to be transparent with you tonight because it's something we talked about Sunday morning in Sunday school. Transparency helps you, okay? It really does. So can I share with you how I completely blew it tonight? We've got friends in town. We were enjoying the fellowship. We were just having a good time. We were talking. We looked down at her watch, and you know what? It was time to hurry up and leave. I got up. I paid. And it never occurred to me one time. Leave one of the church tracks there on the table. 
had to hurry and get to church so I could do my preacher job. While completely forgetting that our server has a soul. Can anybody uh, relate to this? How many opportunities have we completely missed because we were so wrapped up in so many other things that we failed to realize of all the things we need to be doing as Christians, one of the things is this, is we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. You need to be doing it like I need to be doing it because you will come into contact with people that I will never come into contact with. So I want you to know I'm not beating you up tonight because I don't have to go back further than an hour and a half to see my own failure in this. But I want us to consider one other angle of this, and, and, and this one may be too ugly for us to admit out loud, okay? If you just want to sit there and go, oh, mm, and not admit to anything, that, that's fine. But again, for the sake of transparency, I want us to see if this would be true of any of us. How many of us have ever not cared if certain people were reconciled? Because maybe a level of disdain that we hold for that person. I thought it might be quiet, and that's okay. But the flesh can be pretty ugly sometimes, can't it? This carnal mind that we have sometimes. You might not want to admit it publicly. You might not want to say anything out loud. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times that things happen. And in my heart of hearts, if I had to be honest, I'd have to admit, you know, right now I'm really not too worried as to whether or not that person's ever made right with God. I'm going to share a story with you real quick. It's kind of fresh. It's kind of raw. I want you to know I have permission to say what I'm about to say. Some of you are already aware of this anyways. But, but right now, my brother and his wife of 26 years are going through a divorce. And it's an ugly divorce the way it's turning out. Now, I can stand before you tonight and tell you this. I'm really not biased in this situation like some may think I'm biased. I am very much an outside observer to what is going on, but I do have a very close seat to the action, so to speak. And as it's getting ugly and as I'm watching and as I'm listening and as I'm hearing everything that's going on, here's what I have to say. Is my brother responsible for a lot of what's happened in the past? Yes, he is. But I know this from visiting with him extensively the last couple of months. You know what he's done? He's done everything he can to try to be reconciled unto God and with his wife. At the same time, knowing everything that I know what's going on right now, I would just have to be honest and say this. My sister-in-law is not worried 
about reconciliation with her husband or with her three children or her grandson. Now here's what I'm getting at. Knowing all the details that I know, knowing everything that I am aware of, can I just be honest and tell you that there's a part of me that has thought over the last few months, I don't really give a rip. She's responsible for this. Let her enjoy it. Have any of you ever had carnal, worldly thoughts like that? You know what I was reminded of this morning? God loves her as much as he loves me. He really does. No matter what she's done, no matter what she's doing, God loves her every bit as much as he loves me. And so this morning, you know what I had to pray? I had to pray for her reconciliation. God, she needs to be made right with you. The direction she's headed, I know it's going to cause problem. I know it's going to be painful. I know it's not going to end well. And so, God, she needs to be made right with you. So, Lord, please do the work in her life that only you can do. I'm just trying to share with you something, though. I've not prayed that prayer a whole lot these last couple of months because it hasn't been a real burden of mine. But again, she needs reconciliation as much as I could ever need reconciliation. She's not undeserving of it just because of some things that she's done. I mean, if we were going to go from that standard, probably none of us really deserved reconciliation with God. But it is true sometimes, isn't it? If we just be honest, there's just some people, we're not too worried about their reconciliation. We don't like them. We don't care about them. We're not really close to them. Paul never said anything as to who our ministry of reconciliation is to be directed toward. I'm just trying to remind us tonight of this truth. Of everything we've got going on in our spiritual lives, of everything it is we're trying to accomplish, it all has a purpose. It all has a place. There is a point to all that. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that when Christ left this earth, what did he give the disciples? He gave them the commission. He gave them the charge to go and to, and, and to teach and to preach, to, to give the gospel. What is that? It's the word of reconciliation. Friends, I'm just saying, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We can't excuse our, our lack of obedience to it because we're busy, we've got so many other things going on, we just don't have time for it. And we certainly cannot allow our personal feelings towards someone to interfere with our desire to see them reconciled. I want to ask you tonight, is there a chance 
that with everything you've got going on, you've lost sight of your personal responsibility to be that minister of reconciliation. You've lost sight of the fact that that person working beside you will spend eternity somewhere. Maybe you've gotten cross with someone and you just don't care anymore about their spiritual condition. Is that really the way it's supposed to be? Well, we know it's not. So what might we need to give some attention to? This ministry of reconciliation. Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see people for what they are. It's so obvious in my own life how many times I fail in this, and I've tried to be honest with your people tonight. Lord, so often, for myself, I do not see the spiritual element of the people I'm dealing with. God, would you help me to remember that with everything I've got going on, there are very few things more important than me trying to invest in the spiritual life of the people you bring into my, into my life. God, would you help me and anybody else who may struggle with this, would you help me to remember that personal feelings for someone is not an excuse to not pray for their reconciliation or to be engaged in that process if given the chance. So I pray that you'd help us to be honest before you tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.